0: Lord, we just come before you and thank you for this opportunity to open the Word and to study. And Lord, just to see a, a chapter that has your sense of humor in it. And we just thank you and ask you to guide and lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, First Samuel chapter 5. And as I said in the prayer, this is one of the more humorous chapters uh, in the Word. Uh, shows God's sense of humor. Uh, remember in chapter 4, the Israelites... Gra- were losing a battle with the Philistines. So they decided to bring the Ark of the Covenant in. And if you remember, it wasn't God that they wanted. It was the Ark that they thought was going to save them. And if you remember, the Philistines saw that the Ark of the Covenant was there and and were worried because they knew they attributed the Ark with their God and they knew that God had destroyed Egypt. And they went in thinking they were going to lose the battle, won the battle, captured the Ark. And we're going to take over from that point in this story. Chapter 5, verse 1. And the Philistines took the ark of God and brought it from Ebenezer unto Ashdod. And the Philistines took the ark of God, they brought it into the house of Dagon and set it by Dagon. And when they of Ashdod rose early on the morrow, behold, Dagon was fallen upon his face to the earth before the ark of the Lord. And they took Dagon and set him up in his place again. And when they arose early on the morrow morning, behold, Dagon was fallen on his face to the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both palms of his hands were cut off from the threshold. Only the stump of Dagon was left to him. Therefore, neither the priest of Dagon nor any that come into the Dagon's house tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod unto this day. All right. We see here just a, you know, I, I just find the story so funny when I read this. Uh, uh, the Philistines conquer Israel. They didn't think they were going to conquer them. Israel believed that just because they had the Ark of God in the battle with them that they could not lose. And it wasn't because they were serving God. It wasn't because God was on their side. It was because they had something that belonged to God. And, you know, one of the things that we talked about last week was When we trust in things that aren't God, God will usually let us fall flat on our face. And that's what happens to the Israelites. They lose, I think there's 30,000 people in this battle that they thought that they were going to win, that the enemy thought that Israel was going to win. Because, Because they knew what God had done in Egypt. And one of the things that I've really been amazed at, God really doesn't care about his reputation before men on the short term. He cares about his reputation in the long term because he's going to do things in this chapter to make them understand that he is God. but in the short term, he wants to prove to Israel this stuff is not what's important. These things are not what's important. For us as Christians, sometimes we get wrapped up in God's gifts, the, the spiritual gifts and stuff. In some churches, you know they, all they want is the gifts. they want God to bless. They want, they, you know they don't even want God, they just want what God can give them. And usually when that's what you want, God will stop giving. He will say, well, if you think that's all I am, you know, I'm some uh, genie in the lamp. You rub the lamp and get your wishes or, you know, um, magic uh, teller box or something, you know. <laughs> you, know uh, you come up to me and say what you want and you get in and God will say finally, no, you know, I want you to want me. And so the Philistines get the ark of the covenant. They think that they've conquered God. You know, they think they've conquered God. You know, they've destroyed the Israelite God. They've got him all taken care of. They put his ark in the temple of Dagon. Dagon is the chief god of the Philistines and one of the major deities of the Canaanite area period. There are a couple of descriptions of Dagon the most Generally accepted picture of Dagon is that he's a merman. Body, body of a lower half of a of a fish and the top half of a man. Oh, that's why they think he came from a fish. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so that is the most popular vision. The other people say that he's a grain, you know, god of grain and they don't really give a description. Uh, many of them show grain sticking, you know, attached to the man part of him with fish-like scales also along the man part. I mean, it's very, very funny pictures if you look up Dagon and try to... Mr. Mermaid Yeah. You know, so, no, not a mermaid. Maid, not a woman. He's a merman. Yeah, 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 merman yeah. <laughs> uh, he represents a god of, of fertility and power. So there's a lot of fertility gods in the, in, given in the scriptures, and fertility gods always involve having sexual activity in their worship. And so this is the God that they're worshiping. And they put God's Ark of the Covenant in there, representing God. And if you remember, the Ark of the Covenant holds the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna, and the staff of Aaron that budded. And so those three things are in the Ark. And nobody is supposed to open it. And apparently, they didn't open it. Otherwise, they would have been dead. Some people touched. We're going to find out that they seem to do the right thing. They, they seem to carry it, whereas Israel, we're going to find out, didn't do it the right way. And they should know better. Okay. Now, remember, they've taken it in battle. So the staves, the ark has staves that were put into it so that the Levites could carry it. So it went into battle. They would have had the staves in there that they could have carried, that it carried. And apparently, they're going to carry it the right way. Uh, doesn't say that any of them died. Now, God may have let them touch it without, without dying because they don't know any better. Okay, the Israelites know better. And sometimes God does look the other way when people don't really, don't know. really know. Okay, Israel, when they touch it, when David's taken it into, uh, into the Jerusalem uh, and they're celebrating the ark coming in, they, even David didn't do it the right way. Remember, he puts it on, an, on a cart and the man reaches out and touches it when the, cart, when, the, when the cart shakes it and he dies. And David takes it immediately and puts it down and you know, is afraid to bring it any further because he just saw God kill somebody who was just trying to protect the ark. And if they'd been carrying the ark the right way, the man would never have died. And here we see you know, the Philistines are seeming to carry it right. Maybe they understand that, you know, in their idea, this is, this is the God of Israel, so they may not be willing to touch it, touch it just out of the respect, uh, because they are multi, you know, polytheist, and so they're not going to be sitting there trying to touch the idols, because most people didn't want to touch the idol, because that represented their God. You carried it around, you, you stuck it up, you, you put nails and, yeah, and stuff in, <laughs> on it, but once it was up, you left it alone. So I think they might have been, this is God, you know, this is God, don't touch. Don't touch, which might probably would have saved their, their lives. But they put this into Dagon, uh, Dagon's temple, in the city of Ashdod, which is one of, the, one of the major cities of the Philistines. And it says they rose early in the morning, and Dagon is fallen down flat on his face in front of the ark. <laughs> now, you've got to picture this in there. Okay, we have just been victorious over over their God. It was our God that did it. We're going we're gonna to celebrate by putting his his statue, which we don't understand his statue. It's this funny-looking ark, you know. With, but we're going to put his statue in there, and they come in in the morning, and their statue of their God is laying flat on his face in front of the ark. In front of the ark. <laughs> uh, you know, and it's just like God saying, you know, I, you may have won the victory, but you haven't defeated me. Your God is, has been, you know, humbled by me. Now, and you got to picture this when they come in. This has got to shock them. The priests come in, and I don't know why the priests weren't there all night in the first place, but the priests come in, and there's Dagon <laughs> laying down. So they immediately decide to put Dagon back up. <laughs> yeah. Now, this is a huge statue of, of Dagon, most likely, and they're having to... Hoist him up with with ropes and whatever, and use mul- lots of manpower to to raise up their god. Oh, no, this is a little. Dagon oh, okay. is a in the in the temples. These gods were very large. Oh, they wow. they were not little tiny things. They okay in these temples they were large. Yeah. Oh, wow. Now how big is big? I don't know, but you know the, you know this was one of his major temples in this town. So I'm imagining that he had, was well over ten ten feet, you know, because this is this is not some small temple to Dagon. This is one of the major temples of Dagon. So he, they're going to make a big, big representation of him. Uh, but even if he was a small one, they got to pick him back up and put him, you know, s- uh, secure him. <laughs> uh, Isaiah pix- pictures this, you know, you, you know the. You take the lumber, you cut it in half, you nail the you, you take it to the goldsmith, then you secure it to the wall so it doesn't fall because it has eyes that can't see and ears that can't hear and feet that can't move. This is Dagon. Okay? Other than the fact that he's bowed before God. <laughs> okay? This is you know this is one of those things that is just kind of you see this miracle you know procession coming in, Dagon flat on his face. Uh, I don't know if the priests were able to get him up before it became general knowledge, or but, you know, I think it, the news traveled pretty quick. Dagon's flat on his face in front of the Ark of the, of the, of the Israelites' God. You know, kind of shake people up. Yeah. Especially when Dagon, as far as they were concerned, Dagon had just defeated this God. Yeah. And that's what I'm saying. God is not interested in his reputation in the short term because he is going to be exalted and he's not going to let people get the wrong picture of him If they had the wrong picture of him, he's going to let them fail. same thing when job, job had a prosperity gospel he you know if you did right, you were so God said, okay, we're going to let you lose everything and see if you still follow me. Here we're seeing the people going, you know the Israelites are saying, you know we got God on our side, He's in our midst and God's saying, no, I'm not on your side you you did you never asked me, you never you never." You never asked to go into battle. You've not been following me. You've been sinning. Matter of fact, even your your priest and his sons are not representing me. So don't go into this battle and don't don't say I'm with you. And oftentimes Christians will do the same thing. You know, I'm a Christian. God's on my side. Yeah, I'm doing lots of sinful things, but God is going to give me give me these blessings and the you know, all these gifts. And God says, No, I'm not. I'm going to let you fall flat on your face because I don't care about my reputation on the short term. I'm, I care about what I'm going to do to you to bring you back. And you know we've all been there at some point in our life when we've fallen flat on our face, wondering, wondering, God, where were you when I did this? He goes, I'm waiting for you to do the right things. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so they, they put Dagon back up, and then the next morning they got up early, and here's Dagon... Dagon back on the ground again, but this time his head's been chopped off, his arms and his arms have been chopped off, so they can't just put him back up. Okay, God will be victorious over the long run. If they had not put Dagon back up, they wouldn't have, he wouldn't have lost his head in his <laughs> arms. Uh, but they put him up, so God says, fine, you're not putting him back up. Because now if you put him up, he's going to be headless. And armless, you know. Now, now, are you going to worship? Now, what are you going to worship? You know, but we just picture this, you know. God's got this sense of humor. Okay, you guys think you won a battle? Let me show you that I'm still in charge. Now, I'm sure the investigating authorities were all out there looking for the guy that knocked over Dagon, Dagon and who who defaced their idol. Um, you know, while, while the doors were closed and locked uh, and They probably didn't immediately jump to the conclusion that the God of Israel knocked down Dagon, because the God of Israel had been defeated. All right, and remember in Judges uh, in in, uh, Joshua, we read this story when they're conquering this battle. That one of the nations said, "Well, he, their God conquered the gods of the mountains, but we got the gods of the valley. He won't be able to take us." Okay, and sure enough, they lost. This was the mentality of the polytheist okay each God had a battle and you didn't know what God was going to be stronger until the gods met and delivered or didn't deliver their people plus they didn't they probably didn't think that our God was real the God of Israelites were real instead of they, think, they thought he was just like Dagon no in verse chapter 4 they definitely thought God was real oh. Because when they heard that the Ark of the Covenant was there, they were afraid they were going to lose because they remembered what happened in Egypt. OK, they knew that they had a powerful God. And the polytheist believes that everything, you know, each thing is God. Yeah. But they don't believe that there is a God. supreme God who can, can beat all, all other gods. And if you're used to Roman and Greek mythology or Norse mythology, these gods fight each other all the time for superiority and there's no superior God that can just you know, push his will on everybody, which is what Satan wants people to believe, that there's no overarching God who's superior. Because otherwise he'd be in trouble because he's trying to be like God. And so this is what they thought though. They thought they were gonna lose, they won. Okay, Dagon was more powerful than any of the Egyptian gods and any of the other gods of Canaan that got beat by this god. And Dagon is, we're going to just make sure, we're going to show how powerful that God is. We're putting their God in our temple. And then they find Dagon on his face in front of that God. Okay, so this is shaking them up a bit. Okay, Dagon was just victorious, and all of a sudden, Dagon is no longer victorious in front of this God. They don't understand God. They don't understand how God could let his people be disciplined for their disobedience to him and yet still be God. (laughs) because that's not the way they think. And this is what happens in our day, and remember we keep talking about this a lot. We as Christians have to be careful that we think in terms of the Bible, and not let the world and the world's systems influence us. And you know, for those who have been coming out to the creation series, things, remember I asked the question, when we say the word prehistoric man, what do we think of? Well, we have been so embedded in our brain, the world's view, that we think of this apish clod with a you know, club, maybe, maybe he looks like a man, maybe he doesn't look like a man, depending on where you are, you know, dragging his woman by the, by the hair, you know. Uh, but you know, as Christians, when we hear prehistoric man, we should say false, no such thing. I, asked you, I said- but you know that is the way we as christians should be thinking history starts in genesis 1 1 where god creates man there's no such thing as a prehistoric man okay there's nothing there's actually nothing prehistoric god gives us in the beginning god created the heavens and the earth and then he started forming the heavens and the earth you know, so when we hear the word prehistoric, we should, as Christians, immediately say, "False." You know. well, especially now, because when I never thought about the age thing, like it's a hundred thousand years old. Like now, whenever they say it, it's twenty thousand years old, thirty. I think they're <laughs> <laughs> but you know, but any of these things that we come up with, you know, what do we think of? First, do we think of the way the world defines things or do we think of what God defines things as? And we as Christians should be so much into the Word, so steeped in the Word that we start changing our thinking because Paul tells us to put every thought into captivity to God. And sometimes that means we just have to think about what do we believe. And we need to be careful because the world has so much impact on our thinking. We, we talk about this. You know, God says the truth is the truth and we're supposed to tell the whole truth and yet our world keeps telling us we'll tell just enough truth to, to answer their questions. You go to court, you swear to tell the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth, but your lawyer will tell you to answer just what they ask you and do not answer anything more. So you swear to give the truth the way God defines it and then they come along and say, do it man's way. And we've got to be careful. How do we think? When we go to work, do we think about serving God and working for God more than the person that we're working for, or do we, like the rest of the world, just try to get by as and be eye pleasers and man pleasers and do as little as possible? You know, we need to get into the Word and say, God, how do you want us to think and act? And it's so much different from the world in most cases. You now, God says He wants a tithe, and we go, well, God, you know, I can't live on the hundred percent. You want me to live on ninety percent, and God says, trust me. And the world goes, on, you Christians are crazy. How, how can you do that? Well, the, the Christians who are actually honoring God. <laughs> the the, the studies show that most Christians don't tithe. But, you know, we look at this and say, God, what is it you want me to do? And we look and we try to change our way of thinking. Here the people were thinking, you know, we won. We, this God is going to win. And then they come in and their God's on his face in front of God. No head, no arms. And then later on, no head and no arms, you know. Uh, you you, kept, well, you want to keep putting him up? No, we're going to make sure you can't put him up. Yep. OK. Or you can, but you're going to be going worshiping to a God. You're going to worship a God that yeah. without arms and, and a head. So we look at this and say, what influences our decisions? How do we think? And this is why I keep encouraging us. We need to read the scriptures on a daily basis. We need to be taught. We need to study. And we need to spend less time in the world's activities, less time watching television and movies and and listening to secular music and everything. That doesn't mean we can just go to Christian and listen to whatever we want, because a lot of those aren't worth listening to. We we need to be very discerning on who who we listen to as teachers, what we listen to as music. Because there's lots of that stuff that's just not worth listening to. Now, there's a lot of people who say, well, I want to worship contemporary. Well, I like that, too. I like contemporary music, but not all contemporary music is good. You know, by the same token, not every hymn that's ever been written is good. There's many hymns I won't sing because I look at them and go, and they're not doctrinal. So we need to be careful. We need to be very judicial and discerning and say, God, what is it you want me to understand? What do I need to think about? Does that mean we never get entertained? We never watch a movie. We never, never listen to. S- no, just be careful how much we do it and make sure we're listening. Yeah, as uh, Sharon just said, you know, you know, how many of us didn't think about anything when they say this is millions of years old or thousands of years old? It just went in one ear and stuck in the brain because that's what we were raised on and thinking. And yet God tells us He created the heavens and the earth, and He gives us a genealogy. that gives a very short period of time and you know a lot of people don't like the genealogies but the genealogies prove the shortness of this of the bible's chronology that we're roughly about six thousand years old period end of story it's done because the genealogies are there you can't fit millions of years in anywhere you can't even fit tens of thousands of years in because of god says here let me let me give you a little bit of facts And we need to be very careful about that. Even in Christian circles, we need to be careful of it because there's a lot of theologians who say things that aren't necessarily biblical or true. And so we need to be careful. And that's why I said, of all the commentaries I have, and I have some of the best commentaries I agree with, I always find things in them that I don't agree with because they're fallible human beings and we need to listen to the Holy Spirit and be guided. Because otherwise, we can believe a lot of stupid things, and if you're taught something, you know, when you're a new Christian or even a, you know, a child growing up in the church, you got to be careful. Got to be careful who you listen to and make sure you're studying the Word. And where the Word disagrees with whatever you think, then you need to talk to God and say, God, did I misunderstand the Word or do I think wrong? And it could be either way. Believe me, you can. If you, especially if you take verses out of context, you can misunderstand the Word, and so you want to keep. In mind context and general rule of thumb is when you're reading the scriptures if you're lifting seeing something in a verse make sure you read about 20 verses in front of it 20 verses after it to make sure you kind of understand what the context is because lots of crazy things have been brought up by taking things out of context and uh, you can really honestly make the Bible say whatever you wanted to say if you lift enough verses out of context and then you spiritualize a couple points and the next thing you know the Bible's telling you just about anything you want it, to, want it to say. Especially once you start spiritualizing it. Because once you say it doesn't mean what it means, then you're know, you getting yourself into a lot of trouble. And uh, so be very careful about all that. Okay, verse 6. But the hand of the Lord was heavy upon them of Ashtrod, and he destroyed them, and he smote them with emeralds, em- even Ashdod and the coast thereof. And when the men of Astral saw that it was so, they said, The ark of the God of Israel shall not abide with us, for his hand is sore against us and upon Dagon our God. And they sent therefore and gathered all the lords of the Philistines unto them and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be carried about unto Gath. And they carried the ark of God of Israel about thither. And so it was that after they carried it about, that the hand of the Lord was against the city with a very great destruction and he smote the men of the city both small and great and they had emeralds in their secret parts all right so here we have God knocks down Dagon and that's not enough for them to decide to follow this God who's defeated defeated uh, Dagon God then strikes them with diseases. Now remember, last chapter, they were afraid of of God because of what he had done to Egypt. Egypt, The Egyptian gods had all been defeated. And remember the 10 plagues that they had upon them and the sicknesses and all of these. And God came in and he smote them with disease and he smote them with emeralds. Now emeralds is a very interesting word in Hebrew. In the newer versions of the Scripture of the scripture, like the new New American Stan, uh, the NIV and the uh, New King James, they say that he struck them with hemorrhoids, which is one of the definitions of this word. Uh, it, the other definitions are boils, tumors. Uh, literally, one of the in the advanced word study book that I have, it also suggests that it might have been struck with bubonic plague because they worship they worship mice. And mice bring in mice and rats bring in the, the fleas that cause bubonic plague. But anyway diseases of some sort ugly. <laughs> are on them. And like I say, the, the word that is the Hebrew word is just about anything that is a boil or hemorrhoids. Uh, in the Aramaic it literally means to strain at, which would lead to hemorrhoids. <laughs> uh, I think it was probably a combination of all of the stuff. Okay, God's saying, uh, let me just put a little bit of curse on you. And remember, they're already remembering what was done to Egypt. So they're in the frame of mind automatically to say, these things are from the God of Israel. And it's just getting worse. <laughs> you know, and, you know, verse 7, you know, the men say, the Ark of God of Israel shall not abide with us. For, for the hand is sore upon us and upon Dagon our God. <laughs> you know, okay, our God has been defeated. He, our God is not protecting us. To me, as a thinking person, I would say our God's weak, their God's strong. Maybe we need to worship him, this new God, but he's the God of Israel, okay? He's not a God that they're supposed to worship, All right, and so he. Their gods being beat up. Huh? Their gods being beat up. Their gods being beat up. He's been beat up physically, and now he's not even strong enough to protect his people. And so they get all the (laughs) lords of the Philistines together, and they say, what should we do with the ark? And they say, let it go to Gath. Yeah, let's go give it to somebody else. Now, this is kind of funny because Gath is another major city of Philistine of Philistia. But the the lords, they say, well, Ashtaroth is not really strong, so let's send it to Gath. Now, Gath may be somebody you're going to be familiar with because out of Gath comes Goliath. Mm-hmm. Okay, this is a major city. Gath is a major city there. And they might have had a different god. I don't know what there is. Maybe they think that god is going to protect them. doesn't talk about their god. Uh, but their decision is, we're being beat up, our god is being beat up. Instead of let's switch gods and worship their god, Let's just send it away to somebody else. Now, we laugh about this, but how often does does that happen? Let's send our problem somewhere else. Uh, it happens to some businesses. You know, we, okay, you're, you've been stealing from us. You, you know, if you leave without, you know, problems, we'll give you a, a, a good recommendation and we won't prosecute you and that poor person gets pushed off on some other business to, to do the same thing they do and they'll make the same agreement with them and, you know, or you know, well, we got this problem, we'll just kind of push it off. You know, our, our elected officials like to do that. Well, I'm only here for four more years, so we'll do something to push it down the road a little bit, and somebody else will have to deal with it. Here, this is what we're seeing, politicians. We have a really big problem. Gas is far enough away, maybe they haven't heard this yet, so we'll go send, we'll send God, the, the conquered God of Israel to them. Here, you guys can have him. You guys, be yeah, our guests, you can have him. Yeah, yeah. You know, uh, yeah. But, you know, you know, it's almost funny, but but it is also kind of sad because this is, we keep saying over and over again, there's nothing new under the sun. Here we're seeing politicians push off their problem. We, we've got a problem, so we're going to give it to this other city. Maybe, maybe the problem will go away in this other city. We won't have the problem, and they will have the problem. And, uh, and it says, and after they had carried it about, the hand of the Lord was against the city and a very great destruction. And he smote the men of the city, both small and great. And they had emeralds in their secret parts or their private parts, which kind of leads us back to boils or hemorrhoids. Uh, and hemorrhoids are very painful. They're not usually life-threatening, so I think there might have been boils as well. Uh, but, you know, they send it to this other city. And the, city, the other city has the same problems. Now, it does not necessarily tell us that Ashdod no longer was under attack, but now a new town is under attack, okay? So whatever God they had is not strong enough to keep the God of Israel from striking them. And we see God's strength and his power. You know, he was conquered in battle, supposedly, and now he's saying, no, you all don't understand you know, I was judging my people. You have not been victorious. This ark should not have been out of my temple. And uh, so, verse 10. Therefore they sent the ark of God to Ekron. And it came to pass that the ark of God came to Ekron, that the Ekronites cried out, saying, They have brought about the ark of the God of Israel to us to slay us and our people. <laughs> Okay, so the Ark of God is going around from major city to major city. People are now knowing. Yeah. Okay, so you have Astab, which is in the center, Gath, which is up in the north, and I don't remember where Ekron is, but Ekron's one of the... Like, it's like a little triangle. The little triangle, I know. It's one of the major cities of, of Gath, and I hadn't looked up where it was. I don't remember, didn't remember where it was at. Uh, so they say, uh, what do you guys, Gath, Gath and Astab, what are you trying to do? You're trying to kill us, too? You know we don't want this thing. You know, which is kind of an amazing thing because if you remember the ark's description, it's it's acacia wood covered with pure gold, with the cherubs made out of be- beaten gold. You know, there's a lot of gold in it. At the very least, you'd want to try to melt it down. But these guys are fearful of this of this thing. You know, this is you know this is God. And remember, this is what they think. Israel is worshiping as God. They don't realize that it's just a place where God met with them. Okay, they just see, just as Israel was seeing, the physical representation of God. So that's why they don't want to touch it. Either. They're not wanting to do anything with it because they would not go and touch their gods. The gods were off limits. So this is why I think they never touched it, other than to carry it with the poles that it was, because their mind, they're holding God. They're holding a God, and this God is striking everybody with diseases, just as He had in Egypt when He, you know, defeated all the Egyptian gods, just as He had done all through the conquest of Canaan. There's a great fear of God with everybody except the Israelites. The Israelites keep forgetting about their God, and everybody around them is afraid of Him. And the Israelites keep forgetting Him and going against His rules. And worshiping other gods that have never done anything for them, never will, and and never will because they're not real. But you know, it's kind of to me, especially this chapter, these two chapters have just brought out how the rest of the people are looking at them. You know, you've got a god who's strong. We're kind of afraid of this god. We're going to go to battle with you and hope that our God may, be, may win the day because, you know, he's stronger that day. Your, your God's kind of sleepy or something that particular day or, or, you know, off somewhere else and we'll defeat you, but we're afraid of your God. And we see that from the people of Ekron. You know, uh, you're not bringing that over here. You know, we've had two cities already have trouble with this and you're bringing him to us. You know, uh, they were kind of smart. <laughs> No, you're not not bringing that into our town. We're we're not going to fall for the same thing. So we're having this victory snatched out of their hands. They they had been victorious over Israel, victorious over Israel's God, and now Israel's God's judging them. You should have left the ark in in my country. Then you wouldn't have had all these problems. And it says he struck them old and young and was bringing destruction on them. So there's more than just these blisters or hemorrhoids or whatever it is, which is why one of the definitions come out as nubonic plague, that they're, they're, they're facing death. And hemorrhoids do not cause death. They cause great pain, but I've ne- I don't think I've ever heard of death by hemorrhoid. Uh, and so we're seeing here, and they, go, they come out, and they're, uh, you're trying to slay us. Our own people are trying to slay us. Uh, from this God of Israel. So verse eleven. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, "Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it go again unto its own, unto his own place, that it slay us not and our people. For there was a deadly destruction throughout all the city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. And the men that died not were smitten with the emeralds, and they cried in the city and the and the cry of the city went up to heaven. God is killing people. People are dying. And if you're not dead, you're in pain. And if you're not dead, you're in pain. It kind of almost sounds like the tribulation period. Uh, I mean, it's very localized to the, to the, Philis, uh, the Philistines. Uh, but you know, we see in a very major thing going on. God says, You didn't win. And He's making sure they know they didn't really win. It, you know, and I don't think they fully understand that God was punishing his people, but he's very clearly making them understand <laughs> Dagon, Astaroth, Baal, all these other gods did not win. Okay? None of them can stop me from, from you know, striking you with diseases. And, you know, and we're back to what they thought. They weren't going to win in the first place. And now they're going, okay, now their god is fighting, and this is something they're not used to. Okay, when they won the battle, they would say their God has fought for them, but they're not used to the idea of their God literally doing things, having a living God that can hear, speak, and do things. So like what you said, they think it's in that ark, their God. But well, they think the ark is the God, not just in, in it. The God, yeah. So they've got this different picture. They think they've conquered God, and now they're facing a God who... They can't see him. He's striking them. He's not moving around, but he's striking their people. This is when the same thing when... uh, Yeah, it's Mount Carmel. The prophet of Mount Carmel had totally jumped at Elijah. (laughs) You know, Elijah calls up, you know, it's him and 450 prophets of Baal. And he says, let's have, a, let's have a challenge here. Let's see which God can, can deliver. And he says, you guys go first. You can't, you're going to put an alt, you know, offering on the altar, but you cannot put fire on it. Let's see what God will send fire. Yeah. That's another one of those funny stories because, oh, yeah. Yeah. because he's, he's teasing the guy, he's teasing the guys, you know, uh, you know yell a little louder. Maybe, maybe he's sleeping. Maybe he went on vacation. Maybe he went to the bathroom. Now and he's teasing them as they're yelling and cutting themselves and and everything, and then at the end of the day when it's time for the offering, he just stands up and he says, "Dump all the water on it." Why did he dump the water on it? To prove there's no fire on anywhere on that on that altar, and he put a lot of water on it. Okay, I don't remember off the top of my (laughs) head. I remember Uh, that. Ah. You know, and he just says a quick prayer that says, God showed let fire fall down and show these people who is God. And fire falls from heaven, burns the burns the offering, burns all the water, and burns the very altar itself, which is made out of stone. Okay, just a little bit of fire God sends down. And it was also controlled fire. It did you know that much fire should have burnt the entire mountain, and yet God kept it in one spot. And then he then he has them kill the 450 prophets of Baal and says, "You know, you know, quit, quit vacillating. Follow God." You know, but this happens. God displays His power. God never sleeps. <laughs> he doesn't sleep. He doesn't. He's not going to be in the bathroom when you need him. Uh, but He did the same thing in Egypt, the ten plagues, and we've talked about that in the past. That each one of those plagues was against one or more of. Egypt's gods. See, I didn't know that. I was wondering why all the different ones. And when you said that, that does make so much sense? Yeah, it was a battle against you know showing you know you think you, you worship the Nile, so we'll turn the you know we'll turn the Nile to blood. You worship the god of the fish. We're gonna kill the fish by turning it to, to to blood. You know, and all the different gods that represented. Oh, you you worship flies. Well, let's give you lots of flies. <laughs> Okay, you, you want to worship Ra, the sun god, because he's your ultimate god? Let's make it dark for three days, completely dark for three days. So dark that the lights and lanterns did not put out, you know. This is one place where light did not overcome darkness. God put darkness so heavy they could not see anything. You know, no light penetrated that darkness because God took the light away. And, you know, each one of these, each one of the plagues was against their gods. You you think a god is going to protect your fields? Let me let me dump fire and 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 and, uh, hail on and we'll kill all we'll kill it. Your your agricultural gods are nothing. Your 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 cow gods? We'll just we'll just kill off your cows. Okay, Uh, but each one of those was to show God saying, I am God and I have the power to win Mm -hmm. and show that they're nothing. All through the scriptures we see this. And this is why we need to be very careful that we don't try to put another God in our life. God says, you shall have no other gods before me. Israel all the time kept grabbing all the gods that had been defeated. Don't know what was in their brain half the time. We can't see our God, so therefore let's get a God that we can see. The God has been defeated all the time, but we're going to worship this God. You know, it doesn't make any sense, and yet how many times do we do the same thing in our lives? We have people today that are basically worshiping Baal, the power, the God of power, by trying to get power. You know, we've got people that are all over worshiping you know, pleasure and sex, which is what all the fertility gods were all about. We still worship the gods as they did, we just don't have the golden statues that they had. Usually, but you know, even that is starting to change in very subtle ways. Right now, uh, in Washington D.C., they have constructed the the arch of Baal in the in D.C. for everybody to see the the magnificent entryway into the Temple of Baal. Yeah. We are being really stupid in this country, and I really almost believe that there will be times the statues will come out, be coming out of these different gods in America because of how far down we're going. It's not going to surprise me to see somebody say, see, here's here's our God we're worshiping. We think we've come so far. We think we're so far advanced. And as I've said so many times now, all we're doing is returning back to before Christ. And if that continues, we'll start seeing idols. We'll start seeing all these things. Because one of the things in the, Tribulation period is that the Antichrist is going to make a statue and make people worship the statue of the beast. We have to be, understand that people are being prepared for that before it happens. Okay. Our world is becoming more and more geared toward evil. You know, when I was growing up and everybody else here, you know, if you watch vampires shows, vampires were always bad, werewolves were always bad, demons were always bad. In our new shows out there, there's a lot of good vampires, a lot of good werewolves, a lot of good demons. Why? Because Satan is trying to recondition mankind to think that all these bad things possibly can be good. So that when these things finally do appear, toward the end days, people are going to embrace them. Well, you know, we've been watching all these movies about good vampires and good werewolves and good demons. Maybe these are good ones. And they're going to look good at first because Satan is a father of lies. And people are being conditioned to accept it. Being conditioned. Following the world. Following the world, being the world. The sad thing, Christians are falling for the same stuff. Mm -hmm. And they're not Discerning what they're watching and seeing, what they're what they're being shown, and you know we've got all this stuff about UFOs and aliens and all of that, which is being part of the explanation of why millions of Christians disappear overnight. The aliens have finally abducted and they took all these bad people away from them that are really keeping us from being what we want to be. I'm guaranteed that's going to be one of the stories that are out there when millions of Christians disappear. Oh, wow, good. The aliens came and, and purified our, our people. They took all these troublemakers away. Good. And we see all of this coming. This is one of the reasons I think we're so close to the end times is because we're seeing all of this stuff coming about. And we're seeing all this demonic worship and stuff going on in our yeah, world. really believing it, too. Well, mm. there are demons. There are stuff, you know, but there's all kinds of yeah. things that they're believing. Yeah, they're It's being made acceptable. They're not being made fun of. And there's, you know, right now there's still kind of the fringe, but there's so much of the fringe that it's becoming acceptable. And shows that I like, Star Trek, you know, Stargate, all these shows that lay the foundation for other worlds out there and and other people and aliens that have planted, you know, planted this, you know, seeding the world with with humanoids, you know. you know, I'm only becoming in recent days to realize how subtle that has been to make us open to the attacks of the demonic world when when an alien alien thought process. It's going to be very interesting to see all of this stuff coming about. And what does God have in store? <laughs> <Kind Emirates>. of... <laughs> 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 yeah, you no, know, when you read when you read Revelation, it's not too far off. <laughs> It's not too far off. Uh, God will be sending curses down that will make people, because there's a, in one of the times in the, in the tribulation period is that man is struck with diseases, and God will not let them die. Oh, bummer. Okay. Yeah, and, you know, they will know. be struck with diseases that will make them want to be dead, you know, and it says, I think, for six months. And they'll just be wanting to be dead, and they, God will not let them die. Yeah, you they want to talk? Years. Uh, well, it's seven years for the whole thing, but yeah. there's a period of time that they're struck. Uh, you know, and there's that time when God says, "I'm going to make sure the punishment is severe." Mm-hmm. Yeah, for fallen man, death is a great blessing, even though they don't really recognize it as so, but death actually is a blessing when you're in so much pain and so much wrecked in disease even if you're headed to hell at least your physical pain is done and then you get to spend eternity in hell which is which is not good but you know death for the lost person or for the world is a blessing on one side but eternity is facing them and the lost person it's worse in the long run for the Christian Death death is a wonderful, wonderful event and you know again that's one of these places where do we look at death the way the world looks at the death or do we look at the way God says death is? Paul says to be absent from this body is to be present with God. So for a Christian we step out of this body and immediately we're in God's presence. What a great blessing it is and God in Psalms And, and you know, in Psalms, God says, blessed is the death of his saints in his eyes because they leave this earth and they get to stand before him. Paul said he was torn betwixt the two to be absent from the body and be with God or to stay there and be able to minister to the people. And that's how I am. As long as God has me ministering to people, I want to be here because of the great blessing of giving the gospel out, teaching people to follow God. When I can't do that anymore, I want to go home. I want to go home and be done with this world. But as long as I have something to contribute to people's lives through teaching, I want to do that. And as the apostles and the disciples were, I don't care where it's at. And you know, at some point in time, I really truly have always believed that I'm going to end up in prison because of my beliefs for God, and that's fine. If I end up in prison, I'll preach in prison. Well, you are in prison. I mean, yeah, but I get to come out of prison every, every day. I'm talking about being in prison and not getting to come home. Yes, I do share the gospel in prison too. But maybe that was a problem. Maybe I'm in prison. Maybe, maybe that was what it was, and I misunderstood it. No, I do believe because of my steadfastness for God that eventually I'll probably end up in prison. And. But at that time, it's gonna be, okay, God, he's just giving me a whole new audience to preach to. Yeah. And they're a captive audience, they can't go very far either. Okay, I may be captive here, but they can't go either. guys um, are showing up. So, we see here God saying, I am God. And I, I was not defeated in that field of battle. And they're getting ready to say, you know, send this thing away or we're all gonna die. They're they're in a little bit of pain, okay. I don't want to make light of it. You know, they've had a lot of people die. They've had the pains. They've had the diseases, and they're crying out. And it says, "The cry of the city went to heaven." God, God hears their cry of their of their complaint. Now, I don't know that they were literally praying to God, but they're just praying. Let's get rid of this thing. (laughs) Uh, This thing is killing us. Let's get rid of it. And they're going to get rid of it. And next week, we'll look at them getting rid of it. We're going to end here because I don't have time in 10 minutes to get to the, the, how they get, it, get rid of it. So let's close in prayer. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for, Lord, just a little bit of the humor in this, that it is very serious, but also the humor that we see when you bring their God to their, down to their knees and you show them that their God is nothing. Lord, help us to keep these things in memory and and remembrance so that we always know that you are the sovereign God who will always get his way. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.